You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Bengals fans are amazing. They're resilient, they're tough, but they're fun. And I'm I'm really excited to hopefully meet a lot, a lot more of you. Isaac has the big game. Then we became a real balanced offense for the playoff run, which I thought was really important. He put on the greatest route running exhibition I have ever seen in my life. He was he was football 24-7, and that was the greatest part of, of Chad. Times at times uh, early. Part, I would tell him when we were throwing deep passes, I said, don't wait too long, you know, because I'm going to get away. You ain't going to have the arm to get there. So, you know, I want to run to the ball, you know. Well, it looks like Duke's in the waiting room. I don't want to keep Duke waiting. He gave us a very limited amount of time. I know he's a busy, busy man. Duke, what's going on, big dog? How you doing, buddy? Jim, how are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, hey. I'm real busy. I'm sitting on my porch. Yeah, well, hey. <laughs> Have a little drink going on there. <laughs> you know, Joe Burrow has played in big games his entire life, and I would think he will be a steady hand at the at the, at the bow of the ship. And uh, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they take him all the way to the Super Bowl. I really wouldn't. Do it. Good evening, live from the Betfred Studios in Cincinnati, Ohio, and from Lori's China Cabinet and Shop, opening up tomorrow in Brownsburg, Indiana. It's uh, Tim and friends with our special guest, Dave Lapham, and scheduled Bob Johnson. And without further ado, here's Jimmy. Yeah, and the, you know, the, the Coppola State, uh, Tom, is uh, uh, that's the thing right there. Uh, the man cave got removed after the transition from the uh, move to the smaller house to the new mansion here. In, yeah. In we, we do have some, there we go, Coppola wine for you, Tom, when you uh, come and <laughs> come and visit. But uh, kudos to you. You did well on your rehearsed line. But uh, three years, three years ago tonight, we're all locked at home in COVID, with COVID going on. We're all supposed to be in Vegas. We all know what... Uh, what happened that night and and this show has i don't know carried on for for three years so um can't believe it's it's been that long but it, it's certainly been fun the, the bengals greats the the guests that we've had on the show have been amazing and uh learned so much uh bengals history and just had a lot of fun with with you gentlemen um and, and all of our guests so uh thank you to the fans that uh 
have been part of it for, for three years. And uh, if you go back and look at the archives on the YouTube channel three years ago tonight is uh, when it all started. Yeah, can can you can you believe that? Was it me and you and and, and Jamie? Uh, hey, we can't go to Vegas uh, this year for the draft. Let's just do a virtual draft party. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. And three years later, and dozens and dozens of players and coaches and uh, media folks later, and we're still here and having a lot of fun, all because of you guys. Thanks for thanks for being here with us. Just recap real quick. We got Dave Lapham coming up in here in a, a couple seconds. We're going to pull Dave on. A lot of draft talk. Thank you for watching. No matter where you're watching, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, make sure you type in your questions. Dave would be willing to answer as many questions as he can in, his, in the time frame we have him. And we're hoping Bob Johnson. Bob Johnson doesn't get to a lot of these virtual uh, interviews. But, uh, yeah, he, we've been talking to him off and on all week and, and today. So he is expected to be here around the 8.20, time frame. Uh, and if he does, I'd like to be able to pull on Lap uh, and Bob and let them guys, those guys talk a little bit before uh, before we start talking to, to Bob. So, Let's go and get it going here. Uh, James, you okay pulling on, on lap right now? Let's get this draft week, guys. Draft week. Dave, what's going on, buddy? Man, how you doing tonight? Good, brother. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. Hey, how you, how you, how's your hand and your your fingers after signing all those bobbleheads yesterday at, uh, at the <laughs> training event? Uh, that was a good time. Good time had by all. A uh, lot, of, lot of real, real diehard Bengal fans. Uh, not as diehard as you guys are, but I'll tell you what, it, it, it's it's always good catching up with, uh, with everybody with a common interest like that. There's no doubt. Fun stuff. Uh, Tom, go ahead and get us kicked off. Lap, a busy week. I know a busy week for you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for making us first on draft week. Before the Bengals can really get into the draft, we have to not look into the future, but kind of look to the present. One very big issue, the most important issue on the team, in my opinion, is protecting Joe Burrow. The situation at right tackle. I understand Jonah Williams, the the prestige, the potential money of being, you know, at left tackle. And uh, I know they, they tried to move him once at Alabama and he, re, he refused. But, uh, you know, with, with the move to right tackle that the team wants him to make, isn't there a coach, a teammate, a mentor that can sit down with this guy and say, look at what right tackles are making. Look what Mike McClinchy is making in Denver. Move to right tackle, work your ass off, win a Super Bowl, and then see where the chips fall next year. Or are we going to wait this game uh, into training camp? Well, I, I know Ted, I did a podcast with Ted Karras last week and uh, got the podcast in the trenches with Dave Lappin brought to you by First Star Logistics uh, that we, we caught up for a little bit. And I asked him, I said, have you reached out yet? You know, uh, to talk about exactly what you guys, you know, you just you just mentioned. And and uh, Ted said that he has reached out to Jonah a few times. You know, he's, he's going to basically he didn't want to get into the weeds about it because he wants to respect what his teammate, um, you know, is going through. I, I, th I think there just has to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a time period where get over it. Um, but, you know, you're talking 12 million bucks. Uh, that that uh, that he's going to be making to play the right tackle position if in fact he wins that right tackle job, and uh, you know that that that's what he has to do. He has to go out and compete and win that right tackle position because there's there's a bunch of candidates out there. I mean everybody's in the in the mix for that uh, that right tackle position. It, it's not it's not a uh, a foregone conclusion that that it's his and his alone. There 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 uh, Jackson Carmen's out there. Uh, competing, um, they signed uh, Orlando Brown's teammate from from Oklahoma uh, to compete out there as well. Uh, you know, there, there's there's going to be 
Hakeem Adeniji is going to want to be in the mix out there. So Jonah has to go out to get his mind right, first and foremost, about going out there and competing. There's no two ways about that. You got to go out there and and uh, and go win the job. And $12 million is uh, nothing to sneeze at. And, and if, you know, if he doesn't win that job at the right tackle position, then you're in danger of uh, being being waived. And the Bengals would save, I think, $7 million on the cap if they were to waive uh, Jonah Williams at that point in time. So um, it's... <laughs> I, I think, you know, it's the off season, it's downtime. Uh, his feelings are hurt. He needs time to get over it and and get his mind right and get ready to go out there and compete and try to be as good a right tackle as you can be. And it's, in my mind, there's there's nothing wrong with being a versatile offensive line, lineman, being able to, to to play both tackle positions well. Orlando Brown uh, has made uh, four straight Pro Bowls: two at right tackle, two at left tackle. Now, you know, he's going to be the guy. He, he wants to play the left tackle position. They gave him a ton of money to play the left tackle position. My point is he's he's made the Pro Bowl at both spots, and it only enhances your overall value. So um, I, I, I'd be surprised if Jonah doesn't come around to the fact that, you know, clear your head, go out there, compete, and uh, and try to get it done. Do you see that, uh, you know, the Bengals are in a unique spot. They don't desperately need anything, but they still need a lot. They need a lot of depth. Maybe they need some youth at, at certain positions with contracts coming up. Would you be surprised in those first three, four rounds if, if by the end of, of day two, offensive line has not been addressed? Oh, I think it's going to be addressed uh, probably in the, in the middle rounds. You know, when I say middle rounds, like third, fourth round, maybe even second round, if, if in fact uh, – their their board, their big board, you know, other positions are being hit and offensive tackles not. Uh, they could take it any at any time. I, I doubt that it'll be the first round selection. In my mind, after spending the money they spent on Orlando Brown and the money that they spent last year on the offensive line in free agency, and they drafted a starter at left guard in the fourth round in Cordell Volson, you know, it, I, I think – in, in in my mind, I'd be kind of surprised if they didn't go defense with the first pick. Um, now, again, if there's – I'm thinking cornerback, but if there's a run on cornerbacks and, the the you know, five or six cornerbacks have been plucked and only three offensive line and the fourth-best tackle sitting there as, as opposed to the seventh-best corner, if you rate the fourth-best tackle a better football player than the seventh-best corner, you take them. Um, but then I'd, I'd put edge rusher in there in the mix as well. I'd go corner, edge rush in the first round. If, you know, if there hasn't been a run, you, you hope there's not a run on both of those spots. If there are, then you're definitely thinking offensive tackle or tight end potentially uh, at that point. Or I think tight end is going to be addressed, but I don't think it's going to be as addressed as early as people think. I think that uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how 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 that all, all flows. But um, – Quarterbacks are making $50 million a year now. So it's it's obviously a quarterback-driven league. Quarterbacks are making a ton of money. So what you have to do is not only protect yours and get weapons for yours, you have to influence and affect the opponent at the quarterback position. And, um, you know, Joe Burrow obviously is one of the best in the NFL. you got to make sure that that he's taken care of. And they, they have. I mean, they've invested a lot of money already in the offensive line. And, uh, and at some point, you do have to have – rookie minimum salaries 
to offset the $50 million a year that you're going to be paying your quarterback. Interesting, too, in veteran free agency, I think nine of the nine veterans that they signed, um, seven of them are on one-year contracts, one-year contract. So it's like show-me time. And the Bengals want to make sure that they're not locked in to these long-term deals because they see the train coming down the road and it's going to have a big impact. And that's the, uh, that's the contract that Joe Burrow. So everybody that they're signing in terms of veteran free agency, it, it's not any kind of long-term deal. I mean, Pratt got a three-year deal. Uh, they're, they're, they, they were few and far between though. A lot of the veterans, uh, some of their own and some from other teams, Orlando Brown got a multi-year deal. Pratt got a multi-year deal. Those are the only two. Other than that, one-year deals for their own and others that they signed. Yeah, it's great. I'm kind of changing here a little bit, but I think you're right. We'd go any any direction in that, in that first round, but I truly believe second or third round we're drafting a running back. Um, no insight there, just my opinion. But kind of talk about this, the 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 issue and discussion going on in and around the uh, Joe Mixon conversation and is is there a possibility that Joe Mix is not on his team next year? Yeah, who knows there, I guess. I mean, um, you, you hope that that the, the situation that, that Joe's dealing with or situations that he's dealing with, uh, you know, unwind themselves and and everything's taken care of and he's able to, uh, to just participate fully next year. Um, but, you know, you look at it, too, from an economic standpoint, what we're talking about, is can they fit that contract um, in the salary cap based on what they're trying to do with Joe Burrow, um, you know, with Logan Wilson, um, you know, with, with people that they see as, as core members of the, uh, of the football team, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you, you can't pay everybody, you know? And um, so Joe, they may say, look, you know, we need to redo this deal. We want you, we still like you, but, you know, we economically we have to we have to figure something out here, and if Joe doesn't, um, if Joe box at that, you know, now all of a sudden are you, are you looking at an Ezekiel Elliott type thing where you let go and then the market's dry? I mean, the running back market from a free agent standpoint, veteran free agent standpoint, is pretty darn dry. So it all depends on how much of a haircut, you know, they're trying to uh, get maybe eventually down the road with Joe Mixon if they try to at all. If they don't have to do it this year. If, uh, if they're unable to come to contractual agreement with Joe Burrow and or some of the others that they look as the as the core members of the football team, obviously T. Higgins is another one, you know, on the offensive side of the football and Logan Wilson, like I mentioned, defensively, um, I they they probably will uh, draft a running back. Uh, and, and you don't know exactly what round, but yeah, I mean, I could see it no earlier than the second, um, third round, fourth round. The overall. The draft, in, in my mind, this year is a good middle class. I mean, if you've got after, honestly, they're like a handful of blue chip guys. After that, the rest of the draft, it's 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 all this, it's pretty much the same guy. I mean, what what you're getting at number ten, the Bengals are gonna be able to get at number twenty eight. There's not a big disparity, I don't think, in in everybody's board in terms of ranking and evaluating uh, the players. There's not a whole ton of blue chip Hall of Fame potential you know, uh, candidates. So um, if the Bengals can somehow pick up an extra third, fourth or fifth round pick, this is the year to do it. Now, the only way that would happen is if one of the top four quarterbacks slide to 28, if that happens, 
phones are going to be ringing, or if there's a run in a position group where a team, like you mentioned, Jim, the Bengals don't have a glaring need anywhere. So, but some teams are going into the draft with glaring needs. And if, if they're like, oh man, there's been a run at our glaring need, there's one left and it's right at the end of the first round, man, we got to call the Bengals at 28 and see if we can make a deal. So we got to move up. We got to try to get that last guy. It, it falls off a cliff after that in terms of our grade and our evaluation of these players. So that, that kind of thing is the only way the Bengals would be in a situation where they'd be able to trade back from 28 and pick up an extra, you know, hopefully third or fourth round pick or something like that. I think in this draft, it's a, it's a good thing to have. James? Yeah, we got a listener question, Dave. Thanks again for um, joining us. If, if everybody remembers, what, three or four years back, we um, – slid back in the draft and got Cordy Glenn and got the Bills draft pick. There's been some rumors this week about us making a similar trade with Tampa, packaging Jonah Williams, we sliding up to their spot and us sliding back. Any uh, truth to that, Dave, or is it just a lot of pre-draft uh, smoke that's going on? Listener Brian uh, posted that question. Yeah, I mean, I have no I have no uh, knowledge where I could give a verification on, on anything like that. That's not... Uh... That's not anything that they talk about. I mean, I, I do know that league-wide, not just with the Bengals, but other teams that I, uh, where I have friends that I talk to around the league, there's a lot of conversation that goes on now. I mean, there's a lot of phone calls that are made. There's a, there's a lot of dissertations that are discussed, um, you know, as you're, as you're preparing for the draft. So it's possible. It's possible that that's, uh, that's something that uh, has been thrown out there. Um, but whether it, how valid it is, um, if, if it's got legs or not, your guess is as good as mine. I, I really don't know how how valid a uh, or how how close they are to making any kind of a uh, more, more than just a an exploration in 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 the, in in a big conversation kind of thing. Who knows? We talk about the offensive tackle needs. We talked about the tight end needs. We talk about the cornerback needs. Um, as we talked about earlier, you know, we're not desperate for anything. Those are three areas we'd definitely like to add depth to. So when we roll back to uh, pick 28 this year, do you think we're in that position to take that best player available? If B. John Robinson, you know, you mentioned there's not a lot of discrepancy in, in running back. Say somebody like that falls to 28. Are the Bengals in a situation to take the best player available? Yeah, they are, I think. You know, and, uh, you know, particularly here lately, what they did at the tight end position, that, that was a, a bigger need up until the last couple, three weeks, uh, where they signed their own second-round draft pick, Drew Sample, brought him back on a one-year deal. They also signed Irv Smith Jr. on a one-year deal. And Irv Smith Jr. is only 24 years old. I mean, there are, there are quarterbacks coming out in this year's draft that are 25 years old. I mean, Irv Smith Jr. came out of college at age 20, so and he was a second-round pick. Uh, this this kid's pretty pretty good receiving weapon. So I mean, to me, um, the the Bengals they, they've got James Casey, who's a hell of a tight end coach. He made CJ CJ Uzama a ton of money. CJ Uzama had the big deal and a big year in cash and a big deal the New York Jets. Hayden Hurst comes here on a one-year prove-it deal, and uh, under the guidance of of a pretty darn good tight end coach. He has a, a great year and goes to the Carolina Panthers and he makes a big contract. So um, I, I would think Irv Smith Jr. and his agent said, hey, geez, why not get a piece of that action? You know, the last two tight ends 
that have gone to the Cincinnati Bengals on on uh, in, you know short-term arrangements have have uh, have, have struck gold. So um, <laughs> it, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a it, it's still something they'd like to have, but I don't think it's like got to draft a tight end in the first round. I don't think they're going to pigeonhole themselves in that way. In fact, you know, it may be a situation where there are still are tight ends on the board and the tight ends that are left on the board, they have another position uh, player rated higher on their big board. You know, they have everybody rated one through whatever on their, on their position board. And then the overall big board, um, you know, they, they've got everybody rated and doesn't matter what what position you're playing you're rated one to 300 or whatever and if they've got a uh, a tight end available at 28 that is i don't know say say number 28 and they have another position player that's in the top 15 slid for some reason top 20 slid for some reason they're in a position where they can make that make that move you know and, and don't pass up on the best player available honestly i think you know, with with what they've done and the way their roster is built right now, you know, you're all. I'm not saying you're drafting for 24 and 25, but and Duke Tobin made mention of the fact that everybody we draft, we want to have a role for, uh, and I and I do believe that, but it doesn't have to be a starter's role. You know, you're not drafting somebody to be a starter necessarily in 2023, but you're drafting somebody, particularly if you draft them high. It's going to be a rotational, you know, contributor to whatever position group uh, you're talking about. You know, you would think. Um, and and to me, you know, that's including the uh, the wide receiver position. You know, I I don't. It, it won't be till you know well into the mid rounds. I think probably third round on, where if a wide receiver, the wide receiver group is is pretty pretty deep. Um, you know, it's it's not. There's not a whole bunch of stars, but there's a good group of them. It's kind of like the the entire draft. There's a good middle class of wide receivers. You can get a good wide receiver for quite a few rounds. And let's face it, the Bengals offense, guys, is wide receiver centric. The, the top four wide receivers for the Bengals last year, 238 catches, 3,058 yards, 25 touchdowns. The tight end position, the top four tight ends for the Bengals last year, 73 catches, 556 yards, three touchdowns. This team is wide receiver centric. They play 11 personnel as much as anybody in the league, probably more than anybody in the league, which is one running back, one tight end, three wides. And they'll, they'll go four wides quite a bit as well. Uh, and then the running back position that we're talking about, you got to be able to catch the football because the running backs combined top four running backs combined 103 catches, 796 yards, nine touchdowns. They were a bigger factor in the passing game than the tight ends. Joe Burrow, you know, everybody's playing these deep zones. He's going to check down to those running backs, and he's going to make make hay that way. So um, you you have to draft to what you're trying to get done from a schematic standpoint as well. And the Bengals are a, they're a wide receiver-oriented offense. And to me, drafting a wide receiver that that is maybe, you know, you're not going to be able to potentially keep all three of the wide receivers in your top three right now, the big trio. So you, you draft a guy that might play 12 to 15 snaps for you a game next year, and then the following year in 2024, he's ready to to roll into a uh, wide receiver position that you might have lost because of salary cap issues or whatever. So you, you're always like, it's not just this year necessarily, this year's roster. 
you're 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 putting a team together for for down the road, but they have to have some sort of a role uh, right off the bat if you're investing those high draft picks. Right. Tom, Dave, you know, flipping over back to the defense, uh, you know, it's been said in, in this league, you have to protect your quarterback so he can make plays, and you have to get to their quarterback. I know one thing that seemed to frustrate Coach Amaruno last year was not enough pressure. You know, not enough sacks, but also not enough pressure. Even though Trey Hendrickson's gone to the Pro Bowl the last two years, Sam Hubbard with some amazing big plays, some of the biggest plays in Bengals history. And I I think DJ Reader is one of the three or four most important players on the team. Do you see any changes in scheme to get more pressure on the enemy quarterbacks? Or do you see that coming from new personnel maybe Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I, I could see I could see an edge rush guy being drafted at 28. Like I said, I, I would not that would not shock me if, if there's somebody that uh, that slides to that spot. I mean, if a guy like uh, Lucas Van Ness is there at 28, I'm all over that. I take that kid, take that kid out of Iowa. Uh, he's a former hockey player. He's an athlete. He's good because of the hockey. His, his legs are strong, man. And this this dude is uh, he's got he's got huge hands. From from his uh, thumb to his uh, pinky finger, eleven inches. I mean, if you're if you're talking ten, you got a big hand. He's got an eleven inch span right there. He's got a big old mucker on him, man. And he's he's a powerful kid. He's an explosive kid. He played three technique uh, his his first year at Iowa. Then they kicked him outside, so he can play defensive end and rush the pass. You can kick him inside in, in, in the nickel defense and rush him at defensive tackle. He gives you position versatility. That's one thing that Lou Renarumo really loves is every player playing, being able to play multiple positions for him or as many players as, as he can get that can, that he can line up in, in, in multiple spots. And, and, you know, he's a chess master doing that type of thing. So a guy like that, if there's been a run on cornerbacks and uh, a guy like Lucas Van Ness is, is sitting there at 28, I'm all over that to, to, to help the pass rush because, you know, you can do it two ways. You can do it scheme-wise. You can do it by adding, you know, uh, guys that have that physical talent and ability and athleticism to, to get off, the, you know, get up the football field and, and, and uh, make life miserable for the quarterback. I mean, it's, it's huge now. You can never have enough good rush guys, and you can certainly have, never have enough good cover guys in today's NFL because, like we said earlier, I mean, they're paying these guys – King's ransom, man, a fortune, 50 million bucks a year. I, I, that's staggering, man. I still, I can't get over that, but that's what, uh, that's what the NFL has come down to. In the, uh, in the AFC North, do you see it more important as you're scheming that pass rush with the athletes we've got a quarterback, you know, in the enemy cities, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, who I do think will be back in Baltimore. Is it more important to co- hold that pocket and collapse it? so they can't get out and make a play? Or do we want those speed guys that can go around the tackles and, you know, pretend they're Lawrence Taylor and hit the man? Well, I mean, I, I think that from a schematic standpoint, Lou Anarumo has run five-man pass rushes against Lamar Jackson because, you know, you, you have to be able to uh, cover a bunch of gaps in the running game as well. When you have quarterbacks like that that, that have that, that kind of skill set, he, he's played a lot of five-man front um, against them and able to rush the passer as well as, you know, like mush rush, uh, control the quarterbacks and get get up the field in those in those rush lanes and be able to 
to handle uh, having an extra big body up there in terms of two gapping and playing the running game as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, the AFC North, one thing that you do have to continue to do is be physical. <laughs> it's still a it's still a black and blue division, man. The AFC North is, uh, you know, you, you, when you when you play in these football games, you got to anchor your shoulder pads and you got to buckle your chin strap up as tight as you can because, man, it's a slobber knocker out there, no question. Hey, Bob, we uh, we got uh, Bob Johnson in the room. He's kind of just uh, dialing in right now. But before we bring Bob on, because I'd love for you and you to say hi to Bob here uh, live uh, with everybody on the show here. But uh, Brandon Bradshaw uh, has, a, has a great question here. Since it's draft week, let's talk about your draft experience, Dave. Uh, uh, did you get a call from Paul Brown uh, when you got drafted? What was that experience like? Yeah, uh, it was uh, back in 1974. I was at Syracuse University in the dorm. And I was uh, out. I gave the uh, all the NFL teams um, the telephone phone booth number on my in my fifth floor of my dorm room. Um, so it was an outside payphone, and I had to patrol it and make sure that nobody got on there to make calls home or anything because I I didn't want to miss the phone call. I mean, there was no cell phones. There was no ESPN. There was no cable TV. There was nothing. And Bob obviously was in that situation even more so. But um, yeah, so. I, I uh, it was it was the my my draft year was the first year of the World Football League, and I had been drafted in the first round by the Birmingham Americans in the World Football League. So I thought, you know, I was told I went to the Blue Gray game, the Senior Bowl, the Hula Bowl, the East West Shrine game, played in all these All Star games. And they're like, yeah, you're you're a guy. You, there were 17 rounds back then. They're like, you'll you'll be off the board by the third round. Okay, thanks. That's great. You know, whatever. Well, it took forever because they trying to track guys down. They didn't track them down as quickly as they thought they could. They wanted to make sure they hadn't signed with the World Football League. I mean, the draft had gone on for a while. I thought, man, these guys are lying to me. The draft's got to be over with. So I was kind of disappointed, you know, and then all of a sudden I get a phone call and it's uh, Cleveland Browns. And they, they said, uh, hey, this is the Cleveland Browns. We're going to take you with our next pick. I said, next pick? I said, what round is it? They said, oh, it's still the third round. It's early in the third round. We're going to be taking you with the, the 62nd pick. I said, really? Okay. Well, then I get a phone call. I said, okay, I'll, I'm right here by the phone. So I hang up and then I get a phone call and it's uh, Bill Tiger Johnson, my offensive line coach, my first line coach. And, and he calls and he says, uh, is this Dave Lapham? I said, yes, sir. I said, Cleveland, what's up? And he goes, what'd you say? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, Cleveland. He goes, don't ever say that word again. And I'm cleaning it up. He cussed it out a little bit because of the big rivalry. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, uh, so th who is this? this? This Cincinnati Bengals. We took you with the 61st pick. They took me the pick before the Cleveland Browns did. And I said, oh. oh. I said, I thought I thought that, uh, you know, since Cleveland just called, I told you, son, don't say that. Don't say that word anymore, you know. <laughs> it, it was funny. It was funny. So that was, uh, that was the experience. And then flew out the next day. And uh, Tiger worked me out. And. Um, sign with the Bengals, and, and away we went. Oh my gosh! If you would have went to the city up north, Dave, I would have never talked to you, ever, brother. <laughs> I hear you. All right, Eric, we got Bob in the waiting room now, so let's give this a test. We didn't get a chance to test test his connection, but here we go. Bob, what's going on, there buddy? Can you? I'm just listening to lap on blab. I tell you, the boy can talk, can he? <laughs> <laughs> what's up, Bob? We've been. We've been my favorite story is my favorite story is about Lap. Lap is doing what he ought to be doing. 
we'd, we'd be playing somebody and Bill Johnston, the offensive line coach, and he'd be going through the scattering report of the defensive uh, guys and, you know, lapping our offensive linemen and nobody cares about cornerbacks if you're a offensive lineman. And somewhere in that conversation, Bill Johnson would look up, Lap, what do you know about the defense? And Lap would get a little embarrassed, but he'd say, well, you know, the cornerback is the fastest guy in football. He runs a 4-3. <laughs> Lap knew more about anybody on the other team than any coach we ever had. I mean, it's just – Yeah, right. He's, got, uh, he's in the perfect profession now. <laughs> he's getting paid for that stuff. I, I just want to say I, – I want to say something about Bob Johnson. Actually, I could go on forever about Bob Johnson, but – as you know, the first Bengal ever picked, uh, Paul Brown was like, he went on record, two people handle the ball every single snap, quarterback and center. And, you know, he wanted to start his franchise right over the football with a great player at center and Bob Johnson. He was that. But more so than a great player, this is one outstanding human being. And, I mean, you talk about a guy that, I mean, I looked at as a as a mentor, not only as a, as a you know, a veteran player, do what he's doing because he does it right and he does it so well just the guy that he is man the human being that he is the husband the father you know the businessman now and i mean everything i mean bob johnson is pure gold man and, and how much do i owe you for that lap no i'm telling you, <laughs> man, you, you this this guy had a huge impression on me now I, it was like i'm going to do everything bob johnson does because he does everything <laughs> right well, uh, I, I think I don't want you to talk to Jane. Then, if you feel that way, Jane's my wife. For everybody else, she she would not agree with you, Lap. Uh, can can I tell one Lap story? It's my favorite hey, story. Keep, keep about it going, Lap. Bob. Hell yeah, keep going. We had a defensive lineman named Bob Brown, who is uh, he would have fit in today's defense. I mean, he was a three hundred and twenty-five pounder with a tremendous explosion. I mean, he was way ahead of his time. And I don't know, he just never got the, 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 the publicity that I thought he deserved. But we had these one-on-one -on -one pass blocking drills that you guys probably all know about. It. I mean, and there was no secret to it because, you know, it was a pass rush drill. So the poor offensive lineman has no deception. You're just standing up to this guy. Right. Well, Lap seemed to draw uh, Bob Brown every time. Bill Johnson loved that. The, the other thing, you know, uh, my – other career has always been in the adhesive business. Well, and we we sold in the adhesive business, sold a lot of the shoe people that glued soles on shoes. You know how hard it is to shear. I mean, not separate, but but have them shear a sole. Well, Bob Brown and Dave Lapham, the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Lapham's bowed up and Bob Brown is trying like hell to push him backwards. And I swear to God. Lapham's sole just shears off his shoe. It did. I mean, the, the 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 force that that must take is just incredible. But anyway, that's one of my most <laughs> endearing memories of Lap. Bob, remember remember Bob Brown? He had that he had that big old forearm. Then he followed that big old belly. Oh like, God! Oh, you'd have two hits. It'd be a forearm hit, and then the belly hit. <laughs> Man, and well, he, the he tough would, part he is rock like, you. Like he did. Saying, he, the, the forearm oh. would straighten you up, and now you're oh. straight and hit you with that belly. Oh, man, he he delaminated me, man. He delaminated my soul. He did. <laughs> the, the other thing I like was we had a couple, not to be mentioned, not to mention names. We had some less than smart offensive linemen, and and of course Lapham knew everything. I mean, he knew everybody's assignment. So did you. I, 
I cannot tell you the number of times that you go to the line of scrimmage and some stupid tackle on the other side would go, what did I do on this lap? What did I do on this? And, you know, lap them sitting there saying to the defensive tackle that's right in front of you, you block down on the defensive tackle. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy. Lap's in the right profession. He he knows a lot. Uh, uh, you know, wait. Think, how about how about this guys? Bob Johnson, not only, you know, tremendous college football player, legendary player at Tennessee, legendary player here in Cincinnati. But then he goes and and uh he's about as good a businessman as I've ever met. This guy's brilliant. I mean brilliant. And um <laughs> he had a company, Imperial Adhesives, that that he uh, was affiliated with USU. He bought it and sold it. And Bob Johnson is an entrepreneurial guy as well as a football player. He, he should be in the not only football Hall of Fames, but business Hall of Fames as well. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll mail you the check, David. Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. Oh. Well, hey, well Lat, man, I, I really – go ahead, Bob. Go ahead, Bob. I was just going to say, while we're, while we're throwing compliments around, you know, when I played, uh, I mean, you think I, I got there in 68, the first year of the Bengals, and we went through a lot of players. And, you know, we finally ended up by, I don't know, 73 or four, having a really good offensive line. But, um, you know, I, I played with a lot of guards. And the, the one thing that the people listening to the show ought to know, David was a hell of a player. You know, I, he was the best guard I played with, I can tell you that. And I don't know if it makes anybody else that lives in Cincinnati mad, but um, he was really a good player, and we just didn't quite have the team that pushed offensive linemen into all-pro status. You know, uh, well, I, I should back up and say Munoz is a mutant, so he doesn't count. He I mean, is. Oh man, he is something. He was. He was just. You got to. He's not a normal person, but I mean, there were some <laughs> normal, normal people that played. Uh, <laughs> that made all pro or made all star teams, and and uh, I, you know David, I don't think ever got the credit for how good a player he was. So that's uh, me. I agree. appreciate that, Bob. Yeah, a, a lap, a lap. I know we I, we only had you for a certain period of time. You, if you want to go ahead and get man, you're good to go, brother. We appreciate it. Yeah, you, you being on the show with us tonight, buddy. Well, no, I, pre I appreciate it. I wanted to make sure that I uh, I caught up with Bob a little bit. Uh, I'm 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 being serious. I mean, if there if there's a guy, two people that had a huge influence on a young player, uh, offensive lineman trying to figure out what the hell to do in the National Football League, both their last names were Johnson, Bill Tiger Johnson and Bob Johnson, uh, the, the the offensive line coach and the the leader of the pack of the offensive line. Boy, that, that what what a great experience it was for a rookie lineman to come in the league with those two guys uh, to guide you, man. And I, you know, you you sometimes. Your your career is dictated by fortune and luck, and man, I drew a, I drew a couple of great straws there with the Johnson men. I can tell you that. Hey, I, I'll tell you, David. I, I'm not sure I agree with you, Bill, with Bob, but I definitely agree with you, Bill. Bill, Bill was a great offensive line coach. Maybe not a great head coach, but boy, he was he was something. He was he was he was the best. Anyway, hey, hey well, Bob, hey, you guys having me on? Yeah. Hey, don't leave yet, Bob. We got a couple more things for you, but. When we get lap off the screen here, man, we're you you can do some real talk about lap here in a minute, man. So <laughs> good. Thanks again, lap. Later, guys. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Good lap. Happy draft. Hey, See you guys. Bob, I, know, I know we got you for a couple more minutes, man. Uh I laps one of the best, brother. I know you uh you guys are great friends and uh team longtime teammates, but uh, a couple more things will shoot by you if it's okay. Tom, go ahead and shoot, buddy. 
Yeah, first thing we were we were talking about the the draft and and you know, you were pretty much one of the guys you and John Stofa the first that the franchise was built on. What was your draft story? How did they? I assume call you down in Knoxville and who did you hear from? Well, as as other people I'm sure have said on your show, back then the draft wasn't on television. You didn't hear about it. My pre-draft conversation was the Chicago Bears called me. This is when George Hallis was running the team and had a reputation for not paying well. George Hallis, uh, some scout for the Bears called me and said, um, we project you as our first-round draft choice, and we project you as a defensive end. Well, I hadn't played defense since high school, and and, and they – they were they notoriously poor paying and they had the sixth pick in the first round. So I was convinced that I'm going to Chicago, not going to be paid well, and I'm going to have to learn to play defense. And, you know, I really didn't have the feet, you know, defensive end, defensive players in general, I think have to have better quick feet. You know, they don't can't get knocked off their feet, better feet than offensive linemen. You can say offensive linemen have maybe the need for more surge and that sort of thing. But, I didn't see myself as a defensive end. So when the Bears told me they were going to draft me and they drafted, I I, I knew I was going there because, I mean, I, nobody from the Bengals ever talked to me at all. And uh, it turned out that uh, Paul Brown, um, uh, th- th- there was a guy at uh, Tennessee that Coach Brown knew that he had talked to about me and unbeknownst to me, a guy named Jim McDonald, who was at one point um, – uh, the athletic director of Ohio State, or played for Ohio State, and then it was the athletic director of Ohio State. But anyway, so they they talked about me, but I'd never heard anything, so I had no idea. I figured the Bears were going to draft me in the sixth round or sixth pick in the first round. Well, here's another story. So Jane and I, my wife and I, had just gotten married, and this is obviously 55 or 56 years ago, however many years we've been married, but we had just gotten married. We're living in married student housing in uh, Knoxville, and I'm sitting by the phone. The draft starts at, I don't know, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I thought these guys sat around a table because, you know, it wasn't on television and said, I got him like a touch football game. I got him. I got him. I got him. Well, after an hour and a half, nobody had called me. So I had a, I don't know, a 10 o'clock class. And I said, Jane, the Bears lied to me. They didn't take me number one. So I'm going to go to class. Well, when I, you no, know, no cell phones, I walked back into our, our apartment. Uh, I don't know, one o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, I said, you know, anything going? She says, yeah, this, this guy named Brown called, but I didn't, I didn't get his first name, but he said he'd call back. So that, that's how I ended up. That's, that's how I ended up knowing who drafted me. That's great. Bob, are you okay with just a couple more quick questions? Sure. Okay. I, I, I want to talk quickly about that 1970 season. Obviously the first number one draft pick, 1968, uh, in the AFL, a couple rough years, 68 and 69, kind of Paul Brown building a young team from scratch, uh, you being the, the you know, the foundation of that. Um, that 1970 season, you guys just, just got started off in a really bad foot. I think you're like one and six to start the season. Uh, and you guys came on and, and ran the table, uh, went seven and zero oh, uh, to end the season that year. There was a story I read and I heard somewhere about, Something like the second game against the Steelers later in the year, it was battle for first place. And you were going on the field second half, and it was a really tight game. And you were kind of concerned about the game, the way it was going. And you found a penny on the field. Do you remember this at all? 
I mean, it sounds stupid, but it's absolutely true. And for some, my, my wife used to say, you know, if you find a penny in the ground, you put it in your shoe and you get good luck. I, I put it in my shoe. <laughs> and uh, Anderson got hotter than a firecracker and, and we won the game. That, I mean, I don't know if you, I, we had a lot of games like this uh, against the Steelers in the 70s. But, you know, Kenny was like 20 for 23 or, you know, you know completed 20 passes out of 23 attempts. Uh, but they, you know, if you remember that defense, they just didn't give you deep balls. So it was a lot of short passes, a lot of swing passes, but you know, I got Essex Johnson. And I think at that point we had Booby Clark, big fullback, and, uh, we made some hay with those short passes. Good stuff. Tom. Bob, you know, uh, another story, uh, that you, you might remember, and this has come from, uh, I've heard a couple different versions of this. But you were there the day we now have Joey franchise, but you were there the day that we got Freddie franchise. How did that name come about and which one of you and the group of guys you ran with gave Kenny that name? Well, now to begin with, I mean, when we thought we were drafting uh, Greg Cook, that he was supposed to be the franchise. Of course, he promptly got hurt. But then uh, it was about the third game of Kenny Anderson's, I think, first year. And I don't know, Virgil Carter got a little touched up. We tried Dave Lewis, uh, and then they put Anderson in. And, you know, all of a sudden, I mean, he was very accurate. If you remember, he always chose the right person to throw to, um, very accurate. And I can't remember um, who missed the block. Bill Walsh is standing at the at the board while, while this film's going on, and somebody, you know, knocked the snot out of uh, Kenny – and Walsh goes into, you know, you're, you're, you're killing Anderson. You know, that, that that's our franchise. That's our franchise right there. So Trumpy and Anderson and I and Bruce Coslett used to go to lunch together every day. And uh, and I think Trumpy started. I think Trumpy said, oh, we got Freddie Franchise going to lunch with us. I think he ought to be buying lunch. I, I think I was the guy. I think Trumpy started it. But from then on, he was Freddie Franchise. And if anybody ever got him hit. I mean, you know, you're messing with our franchise. It's Freddie franchise. And I hate to say it, but, you know, especially the way football has evolved now that, you know, football is all about throwing and catching and protecting the passer maybe. But, um, you know, if we didn't have Kenny and his accuracy with the Bill Walsh, you know, that West Coast offense, uh, he, he, he was a big deal. I mean, if he if, had he gotten hurt badly somewhere in this um I mean, we didn't do well. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us. We have a listener question here, and as you alluded to earlier, your wife was actually the first one to um, talk to Paul Brown when he called uh, back in the UT days. Um, a lot of our former Bengal greats have some great uh, Paul Brown stories they'd like to share. Is there one in particular that you'd like to talk about um, concerning Paul Brown? Well, th- there are. I mean, there there are so many. Uh, Bob, it's a PG thirteen show. Come on. Yeah, I, I'm sitting there thinking of of the one. <laughs> well, um, we we ate lunch um, in in a meeting room, and one um, I don't know exactly. Oh no, this was a training camp. So you're you're up at Wilmington, and you know you probably heard this from other people. But Wilmington, we were there were eight and ten weeks. I mean, it was just miserable. 
And one night where there was, oh, there was always a poker game. I was never a poker player, but Cos uh, uh, had always won all the money. So anyway, they, but, you know, they, they had a, you know, it just evolved and they had a food fight in this um, meeting room in Wilmington College. And they just made an incredible mess of it. And he, they threw bananas against the wall and apples. Again. I mean, it was just awful and donuts. It was just ridiculous. Well, the guy that was the janitor was a good guy. And, you know, he had been working there the, a number of years when, when we played there. So everybody knew who he was. Well, he brought Paul Brown. And if you knew Coach Brown, he was a very gentlemanly, fastidious, uh, rarely raised his voice, could be tougher than the devil. But, you know, he, he was a gentleman. And he looked at that mess and it made him so mad. He walked into our, you know, he always, we always had a team meeting, shoulder pads and helmet right before we went to practice. And he'd stand there and tell us what we were going to do at practice. And he said, we'll be out there an hour and 15 minutes. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to concentrate this. And I, and then he'd stop and say, I want your complete attention for that hour and 15 minutes. But this day he walks in after these guys had made such a mess. And this really nice custodian had brought coach Brown up to show him the mess. He was beat red. I'm telling you, coach Brown was not, unlike some other football coaches, he was a very much a gentleman. And uh, he walked in there. I've never seen him with, with a blazing red face. And he, he walked to the blackboard and he finally turned around and he said, pigs, perverts. And he, Coach Brown couldn't talk. He was so mad. And it finally got out that he was so mad because that we, the team, the, the guys that were playing that poker game had made such a mess and this poor guy hadn't cleaned it up. But it, it tells you something about what Paul Brown valued. I mean, he did value um, what he would have called the eternal verities, you know, the honesty, good people, blah, 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 blah. I think far more than a lot of coaches would. But I've never seen him. I mean, you know, people would miss a block and get somebody killed. And he would understand that the guy's trying and he wouldn't get mad. I'll tell you, he got madder if you missed an assignment. But the maddest I've ever seen him was when he came in and called the people in that poker game pigs and perverts. <laughs> it, it is an interesting side to Paul Brown that, you you know, you don't always get. Yeah, I'll tell you what, good. in retrospect, heck of a guy. I think if I if I ever um, did good things in leadership, in business or whatever, uh, I, I would take a lot from him. You know, he didn't get upset. He was very analytical. Uh, anyway, I thought he was a heck of a guy. Yeah. Bob, look, I know we're beyond our time. Uh, Tom, do you have one more quick one? Then we'll let you go, Bob. I'm sorry. That's yeah, right. Baby, one, Bob, is uh, you, know, you talk about those teams in the 70s and, and uh, the team around Ken Anderson. And one of the things that people you don't get enough credit for from all the people we talked, you were one of the elite centers in the game. Uh, you were an AFL all-star, but you also played in a in an era where a lot of other guys were on TV with their very powerful offensive lines around them and you didn't get the credit you deserve, nor did that team. Uh, you guys were one of the three, four best teams in the NFL, and I always liked when certain Steelers will talk about it from, from back then. They'll always say, you know what? Yeah, the Cowboys were so good and the Raiders were so good, but we knew once we – if we could get by the Bengals, we were going to be okay. We well, were going to get I, deep in the playoffs. We were going to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, if you if you look back at that team, they had a tremendous defense, and – uh we, we would control the ball a lot against them, but never score that much. But, you know, if you look back at when they were winning everything in the early 70s, you know, our scores were 22 to 19. Uh, we beat them a couple times. But, you know, when they beat us, and they probably beat us, I don't know, 
uh, two to one in the years I played, but um, the scores were always really tight. And, that, you know, and they, they were, that, that was a tremendous defense and really well put together. They just didn't give you anything. And, uh, you know, you, like I said, Anderson would be 20 for 24, 20 for 23, and uh, we lose the game. But it was just because their defense was just so well put together. Wow. But we, we, I mean, we had, we were good. We just, we were in the wrong era. Uh, you know, we, we, I think we beat Oakland more than they beat us. And they, that was the Ken Stabler, uh, George Blanda, really, really good. Uh, Daryl LaMonica, they were great years for the Raiders. But um, the Steelers were really something. Yeah, yeah with, with, with that, though, one other quick story. There was evidently you guys were on the road in Denver and there had been a miscommunication about what time bed check was. And you guys were at a Denver Nuggets basketball game when panic ensued. And uh, as different guys have told the story, but they always claimed you were the guy as you guys were running, sprinting for cabs and any way to get back to the ho hotel kept wailing. Paul's going to cut us all. He's going to trade us to Green Bay. Do you remember that? I remember it distinctly. And I swear to God, there were two girls in a car and there might have been four of us. I guarantee it was Trumpy and Cosley. And we banged on the window of the door, two girls, and we said, listen, we play for the Bengals. We're late for a bed check. Is there any way you can give us a ride to this hotel that's like, you know, I don't know, 15 blocks away? And they looked at us like we were nuts and, you know, we were going to molest them or whatever. And they one one said, "Ah, they look okay." Okay, so we, we piled in the back seat, and these two girls gave us a ride to the hotel. Anyway, it was it was it was worth the price of admission at the time. <laughs> Bob, I know. Uh, I think Trumpy lives fairly close to you, doesn't he? Not too far away from you. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, he chased. Me. I, I we we bought a house in Glendale. We've lived we've lived in three houses in Glendale for 50 years uh and uh trumpy bought uh, a house in glendale right after me of course uh there and then property values went down when trumpy moved in i'm sure Ab absolutely no, trumpy <laughs> angie roomed with him angie oh, yeah. roomed with him. well you know <laughs> trumpy and i and we probably still don't agree on very many things but you know if you were in wilmington in a eight by ten concrete block room for eight to ten weeks it, it was the most boring thing in the world. And above all, above all, Trumpy is not boring. You can say that. He's he's full of complete crap most of the time, but, but he is not boring. And uh, so as a roommate uh, for eight or 10 weeks in the most incredibly boring time of anybody's life, uh, he, he, he was well received. And you, if you ever get him, you need to get it. He We came up with this game. Have you ever heard this story? It may, maybe we don't have time to tell it, but. Uh, human billiards. Yes. <laughs> if, go ahead, Bob. Go ahead and share. Go ahead and share that. Evidently, well, both Bobs came up with a game. I don't know if it was a handball or a racquetball, and they would. He'll have to explain the rules. I'm not even sure there were rules. No, there, there were would, rules. They were, you know, put themselves into a corner or up against the wall, and they would try to beat the living hell out of each other with this this handball. Well, not not quite true because you you had to bank it like four times. So you had to figure out a, a, a something like playing handball. You go, you hit it into a corner, but then, you know, had to bank it some other way. And the other guy could be in a ball underneath the desk in this thing. And you had to bank it four times and then hit the guy. And the guy couldn't move. You know, he, he took a posture. <laughs> Here's what I love. So we're past bed check. We're like 15 minutes past bed check. 
and Bill Walsh walks in. He's doing the bed check. And he says, and he sees us. I'm under the desk or something. And Trumpy's trying to hit me. And, and Walsh says, what the hell are you guys doing? And uh, we told him. And he said, well, why don't you uh, get on the shelf? And I don't think anybody. So all of a sudden, Walsh is in the middle of the strategy of this human billiards. It was great. So he, he stayed in there for like 45 minutes. And then he looked around and says, oh, my God, I got to get going. <laughs> Bob, hey, Bob, thank you so much for being with us, man. Look, we've we've been this is our this is our third year anniversary tonight for the show. Uh, we've had over well over hundred shows. We've had dozens and dozens of players and coaches and a lot of your teammates on. And and I'll tell you, man, this was a special evening for us having you and Lap on at the same time. And um, Bob, you you are truly a part of Cincinnati football history, brother. And we we thank you so much for being here. This was a special thing for. For us, we have hundreds of viewers right now. But, Bob, thank you so much for being on with us, man. It means a lot. You're most welcome. And, uh, you know, Lap's a heck of a guy. And, and I've, I've enjoyed your show, and I'll, I'll continue to watch it. So good luck with it. Thank you, Bob. Hey, thank you, buddy. Thank we Bob. appreciate it. Thank day. you, Bob. Bye-bye. Good day. Dude, that was great. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I, that was a lot of fun. We went from when sure Dave's lap, Dave Lapp's connection was going to be good or Bob could even dial in. What a great show. I had a lot of fun tonight. I hope you guys did too watching. I think Jamie's up in Toronto now trying to figure out how to play human billiards at the uh, at the rope factory. <laughs> Tuesday nights, the rope factory. Human is, billiards. is he out of the darkness retreat? Well, he sent a text. He's, he's alive and he wanted to yeah. jump in earlier. I tried to get him to come on later, but uh, he's alive. But um, kudos, Jimmy. Another excellent, uh, excellent guest. Remember, what was it? Was it? Two years ago when he was ruler of the jungle? Uh, he was definitely ruler of the jungle, but I think, I don't, I think, it, I don't know which year. It had to be 21, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think you yeah, started right. the streak of the, uh, the linemen we were undefeated when the linemen that's were right. ruler of the jungle. And then that's, that's when right. we told everybody used to be a, a lineman for the Coleraine Cardinals back in 63. <laughs> but, uh, no, great, uh, great guests, great, uh, great stories. And, uh, Man, a lot of fun. You can see by the, the comments there uh, from all the, the listeners, they were pretty um, excited about that. And one of the, the comments, to give a shout out to uh, Cookie Girl. She had some surgery um, within the last week. Um, she's chimed in and, and on the mend and um, doing better. So our thoughts are, are with you, Chris, and uh, continue that healing process for sure. Yeah, we love you, Chris. Get better, girl. Get better. Uh, Tom, that was, dude, that, was, uh, that brought back a lot of memories, man. That was a lot of fun. That was gold. Yeah, he is. He's, you know, such a. It's you always say this about so many of the great players early on in, in Bengals history that Paul Brown drafted. They were great players, but tremendous human beings. And, you know, and that's the case with Bob Johnson. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, good stuff. Now let's. I know we got a, a couple more minutes here. Let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the rule of the jungle, James. Uh, I'm sorry, jungle to the hall, guys. Let's talk uh, a little bit about that. So June 10th. Uh, we've got the, the event coming up here, guys, and I've talked to a ton of people that are that are attending the uh, the event that day. We've got over 20 players right now. We've got 10 vendors. Uh, I think I had the list here. We've got Cook Sporting Goods coming down, setting up a booth. Uh, Cincy Bob's, Hollis, uh, Black Owns going to be down there. Icky Woods is going to have a booth. Balloon Therapy, Ron Boyle, uh, the guy that makes those chains. Um Ken Anderson Alliance, probably since he shirts, we're, we're going to have all kinds of fun stuff down there. DJ Trubb's going to be down there. Ken Anderson, 
uh, Willie Anderson, likely Trumpy. I'm sorry, um, uh, Lapham, Horde, Jeff Hobson. We're going to have so much fun down there, guys. I I can't wait. Cannot wait. No, we went to Bengals Pro Shop. We were down there what uh, two weeks ago, kind of scoping out the area. You know, right there on the banks um, with the big TV. Our friends at uh, the Holy Grail. Jim has done um, a lot of legwork to uh, to make this happen. Um, Craig, we it's going to be a fun day. It's going to be a fun day. Probably our biggest one ever. Um, you know, who knew when we started three years ago in in Canton where this would evolve to and and being one of the many pillars to get the the Riley family in. Uh, most importantly, because you, the fans, the pushes that you've given on social media that support and let's keep that support um, going. June tenth at the banks, one o'clock. We hope to see each and every one of you down there. If you can make it, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. And James, you just shared a link, I think, uh, for the, to RSVP. I did. Yeah, it's 100% free. Um, the one thing we do ask that uh, so we could get an accurate count is to reserve your tickets. Um, there is a link on all the um, media platforms. Simply go up there, uh, click the link, reserve how many tickets you need, and uh, come on down and, and have some fun. And not only meet um, some Bengals greats, as you said, Jimmy, but uh, just a fun day to uh, support the Bengals. A lot of businesses that will be there that are instrumental to um, the Bengals and the fan base and uh, invite you to make a, an afternoon of it for sure. Yeah, and the other one I forgot to mention, when Bengal bids will be there in person or flying in and bringing a bunch of stuff. Uh, so this is going to be an amazing day. So, Tom, I'm sorry. I think you probably had something there to add to that as well. No, just that uh, I believe the Bengals Pro Shop was going to be there, and it is going to be a, a tremendous day uh, and really open it up from, uh, you know, the, our first year up in Canton where we had, what, about 350 people make the drive from Cincinnati. And then and last year we had a great time at the in-between, but really a day uh, during the off season to get us ready as fans for, for training camp and the upcoming season uh, by celebrating our Bengal legends that really deserve to be in Canton. And uh, we're not only going to be pushing – the Willie Andersons of the world who should be in and the Ken Andersons of the world. It's criminal. He's not in, but this year we get to celebrate Ken Riley and uh, you know, and it, it, we'll start after that. We'll start talking about some special things we've got planned for early August up in Canton, but yeah, it's going to be a great day and certainly hope to, to see everybody down to uh, celebrate the team and our legends. Yeah. Make sure you RSVP. We're trying to get a, a, a more accurate head count. We, we're being told by, uh, the powers that be down on the banks that if the weather is any halfway decent that we could potentially have over 5,000 people down there. So um, you're going to want to get down there, get down there early. We're going to have a lot of fun that day. Let's also just uh, pivot here quickly, slightly, and talk about August 5th. Guys, there, there's another link that we'll share in our um, comment section here. We have a block, and the block is disappearing pretty quickly, of seats uh, for the, inaug the inauguration of Ken Riley into the Pro Football Hall of Fame on the floor, fairly close to Ken Riley's family. Um, uh, those tickets, I think, are like 90 bucks, something like that. If you if that's just a little too much for you, we did secure a, a, another section in the upper part of the the uh, arena there uh, for about $35 just to get you in the door there. But, man, I'll tell you what, we have sold hundreds of tickets, hundreds, um, on the floor, fairly close uh, to the uh, Riley family. So make sure you grab these tickets because they will sell out, guys. You've got – uh, a city up north player going in. Uh, you got a Cincinnati Bengal player going in. Uh, there are going to be a lot of people from the city up north and Cincinnati going to be in attendance that day. 
going to be a lot of fun for sure. A lot of stay tuned for that. Uh, again, June 10th will kind of be a precursor to that big event in, in August. And uh, two fun weekends if you can make it. Great. Uh, we know we have a lot of people that tune in not from the area. You know, share those hashtags, the jungle to the hall um, hashtags. You don't have to um, be in Cincy that day to support it. You can simply do it through social media. And for that, uh, we certainly thank you. There was a parking question. Um, where do we park for June 10th? There is certainly lots around. There is parking underneath um, the Red Stadium, underneath the banks. Um, there's parking downtown. So uh, plenty of opportunities to, to park in the vicinity and uh, walk over. Yeah, as we get closer to the event, guys, uh, we'll about 30 days out, we'll be doing a media blitz with this. So more local media will be picking this up. Uh, we'll have a little bit more detail as well. Uh, but James just hit it right on the nose on the parking. Uh, underneath the banks is probably the best way to go uh, at the end of the day. But uh, like we said, I think last week, it's not just Jungle to the Hall that day. That evening uh, is um, Cincy Beer Fest at TQL Stadium. So we're having a long day. We'll be down there early, uh, mid-morning. Uh, that Saturday, and we'll be at TQL Stadium after the events. So hopefully not only you can join us at Jungle to the Hall, but let's uh, walk on up to TQL as well for Cincy Beer Fest. But let's go and kick off our two-minute warning. This is the two-minute warning. I don't even know why I have that in the archives. It's Scott Heineke there, James. Uh, your times are tough when we do Stupid low to get Scott to do our two-minute uh, warning, but uh, I digress. I'll uh, I'll start exciting week. Um, I feel bad for for Jimmy having to go to Kansas City on um, on Thursday to uh, to watch the draft. But uh, what is this? Five, six, seven in a row. I think we started in Dallas what six, <clears throat> seven years ago, way back yeah. when, and um, you've made them all. So I think you and Brandon are gonna head out to uh, Kansas City on on Thursday to watch it. It's it's exciting week. Um, you know, I think we're in a great situation where we don't where we don't have to say we're going to take a offensive tackle or cornerback or tight end or whatever in round one. We have some flexibility. Um, it's the recent drafts with Duke Tobin and, and the rest of the front office have been any uh, measure of what we're going to do this year. Um, we should be excited. I think um, where we're at, you can see us trade back, take the best player available, a lot of options, and that's a, a good place to uh, to be in. So it'll be exciting. Um, three days. I know a lot of people will be at um, Paycor Stadium on Thursday night for the draft party there. So uh, we look forward to seeing you there. And in addition, we're going to do a little um, pre-draft show with our buddy Brian from um, Deep Pride and the draft um, countdown. Uh, if you guys were listening to 700 WLW this morning, he was on with um, Ken Brew, just a, a wealth of knowledge that uh, Brian brings and myself. Tom, Brian, and maybe some other special guests uh, Thursday uh, before we go to uh, Paycor Stadium for the actual draft party. Invite you to uh, jump on and uh, tune in. Tom? No, it's an exciting week. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of become almost as big as a game week, maybe even bigger with how the NFL does the draft. But looking forward to the – I think the interaction on social media has been a lot of fun. With Bengal fans, we need to do this. I see this. I see that. And it's just an extension of the enthusiasm everybody has for the team and the franchise. So please keep it up. It's a lot of fun. Join James and I Thursday at 6 o'clock. Like I said, we're going to have Brian from Draft Countdown on with the very latest talk, rumors, speculation, what he sees the Bengals doing. He follows the Bengals very, very closely. And it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, keep in mind, please circle that date. It means so much 
to our Bengal veterans and Bengal legends who deserve to be in Canton to feel your support for Jungle to the Hall 3. So please, nothing else going on downtown that day, uh, that, you know, that part on the riverfront. So there should be some accessibility. And, you know, please come down and join us and visit, talk football and uh, listen about our Bengal legends. And for those of you that are in central Indiana, please stop by Lori's China Shop. Pick yourself up a nice teacup this week. Uh, I understand they open tomorrow and uh, help help the family out. Jimmy? Tom, you know, wait, 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 wait. Remember how we used Tom. to kick uh, how we used to kick Jamie off the show? Well, <laughs> Tom, Tom's in the penalty box now, too. All right. Uh, boy, I, I want to say uh, Brandon and I uh, are going to be doing a barbecue reviews uh, for three or four days in uh, – in Kansas City while we're there. So uh, if you're in Kansas City, make sure you send us a message. We'll maybe get together, have a beer or something in Kansas City. But no matter where you're watching, if you're down at Paycor Stadium, uh, I think First Art Logistics has something going on Friday night at the stadium. I think that event sold out mostly for their customers. Um, whether you're at home with your friends and family or maybe beating some buddies at the bar, having a beer, watching a draft, have fun, be good, uh, and, and enjoy uh, that first round uh, with the Bengals pick there. Uh, I hope you guys had fun tonight. I, I personally enjoyed every minute we were so anxious about this tonight because bob has never really done in a show like this where he had to dial in with this link um uh, he figured it out he was outstanding in lap uh, we've had on a few times before had some connection issues there it was great and uh two absolute cincinnati football legends on the show with us tonight hope you enjoyed it uh we'll see you guys next week james and uh tom will be driving at and I'll try to dial in. Uh, my, Brandon and I will try to dial in from Kansas City if we're not too many beers in, uh, you know. So, but we appreciate you guys. Thanks for being with us, and uh, we'll see you next week. Good day, everybody. Good day. Good day. See you guys. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping, and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.